What's going on, Savages? Welcome to another episode of the Savage Snowflake Podcast with me, Jeff Leach, your, your daddy, your, your child, your lover, your brother, your sister, your mother, your friend, your teacher, and of course, your diligent student. Thank you very much for joining me for another episode. It's quite an exciting one for me. Uh, I'm going to get into who our guest is and exactly what's going on first. Please excuse the washed out um, image that you're seeing of me at the moment. Unfortunately, it's the sunniest day we've had here in Los Angeles for a while. I'm not outside getting a tan. Instead, I'm hiding inside trying to work out ways to make my room darker. If that's not a sign of infinite depression i don't know what is but it's going to be okay um first of all let me just give a big shout out to all the new patrons as well if you are thinking of sub, uh, you know supporting this podcast in a different way the best way to do that is to go to patreon.com slash savage snowflake we really do rely on you guys to show the love we've got over thirty thousand unique listeners now so thank you very much to all of the listens but you know what there's another step of support that you can show us and that is by donating a little bit of money maybe a dollar maybe five bucks fuck it if you're rich maybe 10 or 20 dollars a month uh think about how much you pay for netflix now what $13 and you probably spend about let's say six seven hours of solid watch time maybe every month doing that well we do a total of eight hours of podcast entertainment here every single month for you it's all done off my own back no producers no big corporations so I rely on people like you to help me out anyway that's enough of the hard sell give me some money keep me able to do this podcast First of all as well, thank you very much to our sponsors. We've got Boundless Technology over here. If you are a vapor, a smoker, a lover of all things good and THC based, you want to check out Boundless Tech. That's B-N-D-L-S Tech. .com. Their wonderful website has such an array of incredible kit that will help you get the cleanest and smoothest smoke you can possibly have without any of those carcinogens. If you want to use the Terra, that's the one that I use, or the CF710, wonderful products to smoke your resin, your distillates, and of course your flowers, and vape them rather than smoke them up. You don't want to burn them. You want to get those clear tastes, get all the different cannabinoids, the different heats that you can get. It's got an infinite fucking amount of life. It's ridiculous. I feel like I charge that thing once a week, if that. Uh, and on top of that, you can heat it up to any different degree Fahrenheit, all the way up to 434, so you can get all those different flavors that you prefer. If you use code SAVAGE over at bndlstech.com, you're going to get yourself 25% off all of their wonderful technology. You can't say fairer than that. So use code SAVAGE at bndlstech.com. And of course, check out our other sponsors, manscaped.com. Wonderful people over at Manscaped, keeping all of those hairy bits of your bodies, gentlemen, in check. That's right. You've got maybe a lady at home who wants to see you naked. Don't shock her with your hirsute downstairs areas instead get their lawnmower 2.0 use that to trim your nutsack your balls are going to thank you your lady's going to thank you and ultimately in time you're going to come to my house and go jeff check these out pull your trousers down i'm going to go those are some glistening testes we're going to have a good chat about it maybe i'll rub a little linseed oil on it just to keep them primed and ready for action um, so check them out, manscaped.com. That's the website address. If you use code SAVAGE when you check out over there on their shop, you will get 20% off all of their wonderful products. You will also get yourself a free, beautiful leather travel bag. It's quite fancy. And you'll also get free shipping on every single order. There we go. That's all our sponsors. That's all the thank yous. And now we can go over to my guest. Joining me today is uh, a wonderful author and a lover of all things comedy. He's a lover of one particular comedian and the author of this incredible biography that has just gone on sale. You're now able to buy this in shops grab it online uh it's about greg giraldo who is if you don't know one of my favorite comedians i think i've mentioned him on a number of different podcasts um he unfortunately passed away uh this is matt balaka thank you so much for joining me Thanks Matt. For having me, good to have you here man and thank you very much for my copy of the book which is as you can see the first page has been opened you've even signed it <laughs> but i've yet to read it which uh, was partly because i've had an incredibly busy week since we <laughs> met up last week and also because i feel like it's going to be more exciting for me to hear about the process of you why you would write this book what it is about greg giraldo that excites you and also um, what the process of learning all these different stories about this wonderful man brought you to understand him in a different way so uh are you, well, first of all are you a comedian do you do stand up comedy yes I, yeah I for about so, 15 years now is this something that is it a case of going all right i think this man's a legend i've always loved his work and i feel like there should be more of an honoring of his you know posthumous kind of legacy exactly uh i'm a comedian so like most of us have to do other things to make a living yeah of course and uh years ago i was working at an office i suck dick matt that's well, why okay, well, <laughs> you, I, you gotta pay for these monitors somehow so, there you go uh, man that's why they're so small the i think I, well. I i was more degrading <laughs> i'm not very good at it <laughs> i had to manage money so sucking dick would be a step up I, I dude I'm not sure about that. I'm not sure about that. I'd swap out for your for your profession. Well, I'm, I'm not doing that anymore because, uh, you know, like you got to do your own thing. Eventually. Yeah, man. But I, so I was in my office one day and I wanted to 
read about Greg Giraldo, and I went on Amazon, and I figured there'd be a book. Yeah. And there wasn't. And that what, was what was the background to that though? You just you you always enjoyed his set. Did you ever get to see him live? Oh, or? good question. I, I did see him live a few times. Oh, I'm I saw so him. Envious. <laughs> I, I saw him at Melrose or no Irvine Improv. Okay, but also on the Insomniac tour in yep. LA, and I think 2006 ish. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. And then I met him once, but we weren't friends. Sure, sure, sure. But it was he had he left an impact on he you. He did, and I remember when I got into comedy personally it was early 2000s and i watched tough crowd probably like a yeah, lot of yeah yeah colin comedy Quinn show, yeah and he stood out uh, i mean I, I liked a lot of i love colin quinn i love a lot of the regulars the thing, but... he stood out on everything he appeared on yeah whether it was tough crowd or the roast you know the comedy roast he was always the most eloquent the mm -hmm. most well versed and and just delivered comedy in such a relentless fucking fashion you know was, he really did have um exceptional talent he, he he had exceptional talent, and he didn't really promote himself that much. So there wasn't a lot of data on him. Yeah, and, and so the, he was one of those performers. I was like, "What is it? You know, what, what's his real story?" Because I knew he went to Harvard, and I knew he was dropped out of a law career. But yeah, that was it. And I knew he had. You know, I think he was in commercial law. Problem. Was he not? Was he in real estate? Real estate. Yeah. Yeah. I knew it was a very deathly serious industry that he was in. <laughs> But also indicative of the of the vast intelligence he had at his disposal as well. Yeah. Um, do, why do you think he didn't promote himself? Why, why was there so little about him? Was it because he hated himself? That that actually might be a small part of it, much more so than I ever would have thought before I started this project. I think it kind of comes down to he, he loved performing and not much else, you know, when it comes to comedy. I mean, yeah. all, the, all the other stuff is super necessary, as you know, yeah. but it usually sucks. Yeah. Like all the hobnobbing and networking and what have you I suck at that that's where I suck dick <laughs> uh, in terms of you know trying to pretend like I like people or, or buttering up the right people I've always been a little uh, vastly too honest and upfront I think right which made me it probably makes you good at stand up but hurts thanks man I'll take it <laughs> yeah it does it does and it, but it also is one of the things that tie me to this man I mean I listen to um, one of the only comedy albums that I have on my on my cell phone, always at my disposal. So when I when I'm traveling or I get on an airplane flight, even if I um, you know, even if I'm not going to connect it up, I don't carry around music on there. I use Spotify for stuff like that. Yeah. But one album that I have on there that is always on there is Midlife Vices, which good choice. Yeah. Oh fuck yeah! Not only one of the best comedy albums I think ever recorded, and also one of the best live performances too. But he. It's still prevalent, even though he's talking about George W. Right. Bush in it, the tail end of his, you know, presidency. It's still so much of that album it's still applies. Point. Like his his topical stuff is evergreen. I mean, you you've probably watched the clip of him on Dennis Leary. Yes, and, and that, or that, picking apart Dennis picking Leary apart, on, yeah. on Tough Crowd. Yeah, and that and that was uh, about North Korea. Yeah, and that's still pretty relevant today. Or, or, yeah. or yeah, you could be George W. Bush swapping whatever president and much of the same BS still applies. Exactly. And um, I mean, it's a hard process, I think, I would assume, to start to write a biography about someone that you didn't have a personal friendship with. Right. It, it, it is, but it also gives me a little bit of, oh gosh, do I, dare I say, journalistic integrity. Okay. Uh, but a little bit of distance. I mean, obviously, I went into this as a fan. Yeah. I very much am. I, I never tried to claim sure. it was just a biographical piece for, for information's sake. Right. But because I didn't know him, this was my chance to know a lot about him. I mean, I'll never know him, but this is a close second. Yeah. Do you think... Um. Do you think the people that you've spoken to on the process, it, it, it's it's always strange. Sorry, my questions are getting muddled because I'm. there's almost two parts to it. First of all, he was so desperately loved by so many comedians. He was a comics comic. Absolutely. Um, certainly recognized by the comedy a, a community, let's say, as mm -hmm. one of the best and one of, you know, a legend of, of our craft. But then by the industry... He was, he had so many, you know, almost made right. it sitcoms and dra dramedies and shows and, you know, so many things that should have hit and didn't. He was never in a, a Pixar character. No, exactly. What was the, um, so I think when it comes to writing a book about a man's life, uh, there will be, I, I, I wondered, maybe there was some hesitance um, from the various people that you spoke to to try and fill in the blanks of what this man was, how he how he came to be and, and, and how he came to, you know, pass away so young. Absolutely. I mean, everyone, and this is a lesson I learned, we all have our filters. You know, so 
you could see you and I could could watch something that happened outside, and our stories, our accounting of it, will be vastly different. Understood. And, and that's that that's something I I gleaned from interviewing so many people. And how do you start that process then? If you're coming at it as you as you did, saying, "Look, I'm a comic, and I really love Greg's work, but I don't know him. We didn't hang out. I'm not a family friend." What's the, what's the first um, port call for someone who's writing a biography about something? Uh, find out who they know. Right. And, and comedy is a pretty tight-knit community. Yeah. And so I knew many of the people that performed with him. Uh, for example, Kareth Foster, who's a, a good friend, she kind of grew up comedy-wise in New York City and then moved out here in the mid-2000s. And she knew Rick Dorfman, uh, who was Greg's old uh, manager. Right. And I knew that Dorfman was his manager, but I didn't know him. Right, right, So right. I asked Kareth to vouch for me. Yeah, and then so she sent an email saying, you know, "This is my good friend Matt. He's a comic I know in L.A." She, j- just so it kind of primed the pump, greased the wheels greased a little bit. Wheels, yeah, yes. exactly. And then from there, he and I also knew Jesse Joyce a little bit. Like I, I met him at some shows. We were. I don't, like, so I don't know Jesse Joyce. Who, who was, he, was he? Uh, he was his feature act. He was Geraldo's feature act for okay. several years, but then became a writing partner. So I think from the Flavor Flavorostan, they they worked together. Oh, okay. Wow. And, well, I got to check this guy out. And Jesse's super funny. And, and he was always cool. And so I figured if he's cool, I, and I, I, I heard through the grapevine that Geraldo was friendly. Yeah. So I just sort of assumed that a lot of the people he hung out with were as well, which was generally true. Have you been to the Comedy Cellar? Yeah. They're not all friendly. No. <laughs> <laughs> this is the thing. It's like, I feel like, um, I, you know, it's, it's, it's good to have you on to be able to talk about the, the story of this man's life because I'm so far removed from it. Like you, object, uh, objectively, I, I can look from the outside in and go, I have no relation. I never came up on the New York comedy scene. Mm-hmm. I really just landed here three years ago and, and went, hi, I'm Jeff. And they were like, who the fuck is this red coat <laughs> prick in an open shirt with too many rings on? I thought I was the only one that said that. <laughs> Luckily, <laughs> others did too. No, everyone's thought. Even my own parents say that about me. <laughs> but... You on on top of that though, I I had this very subjective um, f- feeling of wanting to connect to a man who's already dead, has no way of being my friend. He might have fucking hated me. Exactly. Do you know I what mean, I mean? That's in a way that's kind of a relief when when you're writing about someone that's not here because inevitably there's something that they wouldn't like or wouldn't want you to say that way. In this way, you know, I don't, I don't have to hear it directly from him. you don't have to have greg go listen i read the book and i gotta say man the way you painted me in fucking chapter five i mean <laughs> yeah, go fuck yourself exactly Matt. Like, um so you started reaching out to to people who were close to with him yeah and are, are they hesitant to share stories rick was and he was one of the first um and it's because he didn't know who i was yeah. and also they don't really know my angle and even though like i can say I'm a fan and this is a celebration of his work. He could be talking shit. I could be talking shit. And and it's not as if I have this large library of books I authored. I was just some dude. Yeah. And, and so there was a little bit of hesitancy, but it was kind of funny. In, in, in this instance, which is very unshow business, my lack of acclaim worked to my advantage. Because I think someone said, well, how do I know you're not here to smear him? And I said, I don't have enough influence to smear anyone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, it, it's not like I... I you know Howard Stern, or you know, someone has, has this platform that that millions of people listen to, where they could twist words, right? Where they could, yeah, and, and then and then I said, you know, I I and I and, and I think after talking to me, they knew I knew a lot about him and a lot about comedy, and and then they could tell, but it, it there was a little bit of push and pull. Yeah, and it's I, a lot I, of charming complete strangers to make them, or at least people who you only know by association. Right. Well, one lesson i learned and this probably will help in other areas and for your listen sure. th- those folks out there sometimes shutting up is the best thing yeah oh i could do with taking that lesson on board a bit more i don't know if you've ever watched any of the episodes of this podcast but i talk a lot <laughs> I-, I did a little prep yeah <laughs> i'm trying I-, I i have to give myself like a little heads up before i start any episode of the podcast uh, especially when i'm not high that always helps <laughs> but i always have to just go just let your guests talk. And it, but today is easy for me because I want to learn more about what you've learned about him. I know Greg as uh, a comic at the Comedy Cellar, another a regular there. You know, fill me with immense pride to have my photo put up on the wall that he's on. Absolutely, um, that's awesome. But then I feel like we would have been really close. But like I say, he might have just thought I was a weird little British flamboyant peacocking prick. <laughs> but there's something about... Um, comedians who have had deep depression 
as part of their day-to-day life and also people who've maybe had uh, various substance abuse problems or you know dealing with some kind of an addiction Mm -hmm. where I think it draws us together to some extent you know every story that I heard about Greg was how incredibly desperately funny he was but also how how he constantly had a voice in his in his head telling him he was worthless yeah he even thought about quitting comedy wow and and it wasn't because he achieved everything it was because he had episodes where he didn't think he was good enough isn't that fucking mental and that 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 i i like initially just didn't get and i still don't completely comprehend jeff but the more people i talk to you realize what goes on between someone's ears you can't you have very little if any control of yeah and people can think these thoughts that are so outlandish but it makes sense to them yeah i can empathize with that people i mean although i don't know yeah i know what you mean when people tell you you're good it's very easy to go ah you're just saying that you're just saying that to make me feel better right or a million people could tell you're great one person's eh you suck and you're like oh i must suck and also, uh, Wayne Jones as well worked on the book with you. Yes. So how did you, well, I mean, what were your split of roles? How did it work? Was it just both of you out on the field talking to people, g- gathering these stories, trying to... A little bit. And geographically, we are separated. Like He's in uh, Eastern Canada. And he was a, a backer like yourself. So thank you for your, your support. No worries, man. And, uh, I was very proud to do it. He, had, uh, he has a writing background. And, and also, which came in, in hugely important, he's an academic librarian. Right. And there's so much cataloging and referencing that I just, I didn't know. So he would do some interviews. I probably did more because I, I did probably 20 before he came on board. Well, you were a professional orator. A so pro- yeah, it yeah. makes sense that you would do that. But he was so good at research. So a lot of times like I would do an interview, it would be transcribed. He would go through it and figure out what points stuck out. Right. And then he often took the first crack out of writing sections of a chapter. Yeah. And which was great because some, I mean, another lesson, just get something on paper. It might be garbage, but then you can edit it. Yeah. So he, he was really good at getting something on paper. And then as the months and years progressed, we'd sort of take turns rewriting it. So he, we'd both do some interviews, get it on paper. He'd do a draft. I'd do a draft. He'd do a draft. I'd do a draft. So you would be sending it almost like a Google Doc that you can both edit. Yeah, it, it was Dropbox, but the same, yeah, yeah, yeah. same idea. How do you get the stories... Because let's be honest, outside of um, you know adoring the man as a, as a, as his as a comic, because mm-hmm. you know we didn't neither of us knew him personally, but admiring him, let's say that rather than adoring, admiring his work, his body sure. of work, ha- you also have a responsibility when you're writing a biography about someone to go, oh, well, I want to paint a the most well-rounded picture, and some parts of that picture are not going to be pretty, mm-hmm. and b you've got to make it entertaining enough that people want to keep reading and don't want to put it down. So how do you balance those two things? That is such a good question. Um, my approach was to focus on the stories. I figure if I didn't want to get caught up in the words, because you can kill yourself picturing out the most eloquent word. But I think what stories are the most interesting to me? Or what stories are the most interesting to Wayne? And then we would base the chapters around those stories. Yeah. Um, but, you know, you, you had a good point, Jeff, is like, what do you leave in and what do you leave out? Yeah. Um, fortunately, he was incredibly forthright about his demons. Yeah. So I figured because he talked about them and other people knew about him, I could talk about him. Sure. But this, I'm not Kitty Kelly. You know, I, I'm not. I have I'm not, no idea who well, that is. She, What's the reference? She's a, um, a biographer who write about royals. Oh, and, and she and, dig and up I, all of their I, dirty I've secrets. Never, I've never kind of read them, but apparently there's, there's a lot of dirt, okay. which, which people want. So that... If something I, like I didn't go into gratuitous detail about some of the substance abuse and like how he was administering it and thing, you know, because it it just it didn't to me it didn't add to the story. Yeah. Um, but for instance, he, we we cover how he died, and I think that was essential. I mean, I actually didn't enjoy kind of learning about a lot of it, but it was critical to the story. So if something seemed critical, it was to on the, the story, he was on the road, right? Yeah. He was at the stress factory in New Brunswick and, um, ha- had been sober for a while. Am I correct? Or was he, was he no longer sober that time? Well, he wasn't sober when he passed and, and, sure. and I'm not being flippant and saying, no, no, that. no, like, I understand what you're saying. He would have these periods and it was, through- but what I'm saying is that, that sorry to, to cut no, in, no, no. but I feel like it, what I mean to say is prior to the night that he had this overdose, yeah. he, he, had been giving sobriety a go again from exactly much of his adult life he was sober i mean i don't know the exact 
proportion, but he would go, I think sometimes 10 months. And, and this is just anecdotal. Sure, sure, sure. And then you slip up and you have, it was a relapse. You have a relapse of yeah. a few days. So 90 plus percent of the time is completely sober. But as we all know, it only takes one time. Yeah. To kill you. I haven't had a drink for three, three months, th- almost four months now. Wow. And uh, yeah, which is, I mean, it's not, you know, I don't is think. Is that just health things or? or, or um, a-, a little of both, I think. You know, whilst I'm, I'm always reticent to call myself, uh, you know, say that I suffer from alcoholism, I think alcoholism is rife in England. It's, you know, drink, binge drinking culture sure. is part of our, our cultural identity. And I know that I've used alcohol especially for many, many years, for the majority of my life since I was 13 as a, as a crutch, as an mm-hmm. emotional crutch. So I decided that I was fed up of doing that. Good for Just you. hit a point. Thanks, man. It's, it's um, hard. Like, I mean, I, it's I hard because I fucking during, love during drinking. The week. <laughs> and it was never like in excess, but it was like, I have young kids and when they go to bed, it was like my, my, my happy place. Yeah. I'd pour a glass of wine and I just got so used to the ritual. Yeah. And fortunately, it never got to the See, point mine's where- a bottle of vodka out of the freezer. <laughs> But it just it's habitual, you know, and it's like it's hard to snap. But once you do, you 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 learn other ways of coping. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and actually, that's that's an interesting point that you just made, which leads me into a, a different question. But applying to it, um, how do you? I, well, don't, well, first of all, I, let's work out whether you're the same kind of broken that I am. Like a lot of comics, I think are. When I watch, for instance, a movie or a TV series um, that is very emotionally heavy and dramatic and maybe there's characters in it drinking or using drugs it makes me want to get fucked up mm-hmm. it makes me want to hurt myself watching other people go through that pain there's an empathetic part of me mm-hmm. that attaches and identifies with it and goes yeah i need that i need to feel like that i need to damage myself too when you're doing this and you're having to read stories of a man who you admire um hurting himself over and over again throughout mm-hmm. the course of his life were there any moments where you had weakness in yourself where you went, God, this is making me want to... Did you, did you feel this? I, I had uh, several moments, Jeff, where I felt like I'm not going to finish it. Or, or like, you know, because maybe it was a, a matter of identifying with, with some of the struggles, but nowhere near, I think, the levels. But it, it, was, it's it, relative, it was just man. A, it's it, relative, it was the self-doubt you know. that, I mean, we all have. I don't think just performer, but I mean, especially comics... When you're up there, it's like there's no perfect joke. There's no perfect set. Uh, and, and there's always going to be someone that doesn't like you. And, and and you know that. Well, you know it even more now because of Twitter and Instagram that, and oh, YouTube yeah, yeah. comments. And, you know, that, uh, absolutely. But good it, friend it, of mine. Well, a good friend. A new friend of mine who was a great guy, Brody uh, Stevens. Oh, yeah. Just, yeah. No, I knew him too. Yeah. Big, part, big part of, you know, why he passed away, I think, is because of that, that relentless um, feedback from people who they're, they're not supporters. And and you just want to say like, who cares, you know? But like again, we don't know what was going in Brody's head. I mean, he was he was open about I think he had bipolar. Sure, yeah, bipolar depression. But he was back on. It was the medication he was taking again. He spent a long time away from those those meds, and then mm-hmm. he just started to take them again to try and help with the way he was feeling, and it didn't help, you know. And I think that's what ultimately um, pushed him over the edge. Yeah, it's it's there's that that mind chatter, and and we talk about in fact chapter five. It's a it's called comedian's mind and. We interviewed uh, some doctors and also this this gentleman, Jay Dixit, who wrote uh, an amazing article on psychology today, uh, just months before Geraldo died, right? about failure. And uh, I don't want to, it's not going to ruin the book, but he interviewed, he, he got in touch with Greg to be the counterpoint to failure. To be the counterpoint? Yeah, because he, he interviewed all these, all these performers, including comedians, but it wasn't just comedians, it was... Um, I was going to say, people. surely Greg would have had, that would have been almost like a kick in the teeth because the man had so many almost, almost right. made, this almost came off. Well, that was the irony of it. He was supposed to be the counterpoint of failure and the writer didn't know much about him. And two minutes into the interview, probably two seconds into the interview, it's just like, I suck, I'm a fuck up, I'm this. And he was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You're meant to be the opposite side of the yeah. fence, yeah. But it was so telling that like, you know what, what's what's happening in someone's mind is is so incongruent with what the rest of the world can think. Yeah, yeah, that buys again into what I think is a current social climate of only ever sharing our positive achievements, or you know, and 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 often a lot of those are fabricated or the, the falsified. Of, 
Yeah, like, Instagram and hashtag, hashtag blessed and look how life. look how skinny and beautiful and happy my life is. Um, well, I'd like to get your thoughts, Jeff. I think many comedians have the opposite problem. It's like they focus on the dreary and and what's what's wrong, and maybe the the ideal is somewhere in the middle. I think I'm um, a young man in an old old uh, a previous generation of comics experience. Does that make sense? So even though I'm 35, which I'm, I'm not that super young, but I'm not old yet. No, no. I'm um, I'm surrounded by comics who are really thriving right now, but they, I know a lot of them are very depressed or very, um, but they're very reticent to to share just how fucking much they hate themselves because it doesn't fit an industry standard right now. The ones that seem to be flying are the ones that share this kind of, hey, life is great, and oh, whoa, just nailed it. It's the fucking chuckle hut and blah, 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 and whoa, look at this, guys. Hey, out here living it. Whoa, I'm just writing up a story. And it's easy to do that when things are up. Mm -hmm. But when they're down, they just are quiet. Right. And then they wait until something good happens, and they go, yeah, just still doing it. And I know it's bullshit, but it ticks boxes it makes people want to work with you i can't do that and i think um i'm hoping that in the next five years the industry will come back round, or the world will come back round to a more honest place that'd be wonderful <laughs> it might be unlikely it might maybe I'm, I'm it's wishful thinking but i i do think um the kind of comics that you're talking about are the for me are the best comics mm -hmm. the ones who do not just revel in the misery because there's nothing positive about reveling in your self-loathing or your feelings of um worthlessness which a lot of comics do feel but there is something very ingratiating for me and uh, adds another level of empathy and relationship to a comic that i feel every audience member wants to feel which is you're being so real with me i can't help but like you and want to know more about you and listen to your stories, laugh at your jokes mm -hmm. and be part of your, your journey, man. You know what I mean? It's like, and that, I think comedy at its best is you're in, you're hold away in a room. Maybe that's probably why the comedy seller is so successful. And you feel in like, okay, I'm sharing my secrets or the comedian is sharing his secrets with us. Yeah. And, and, and it's not necessarily for the rest of the world. Yeah. And it's unfortunate when people bring phones or cameras or whatever and, and ruin that intimacy. Yeah. But yeah. I think when when you watch like a Patrice O'Neill or Geraldo or, you know, a lot a lot of the greats and, and many are still alive too, it's that's when it's at its best. Like yeah. Chappelle's good at this. You, 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 he makes you feel like you're in your living room and he's just opening up and he's doing it in a very funny, entertaining way, but it's not necessarily for the masses. No, this was a special experience that was designed just for you. It was like a yeah, exactly, yeah. moment in time that can't be recreated. So what are some of the stories that have come out with their, their favorites that stuck out for you? Bits of the book without giving away too much of the book. I want people to go out and buy it. Sure, there, But I think if you're a fan of, sorry, let me just say that if you are a fan of comedy, if you've never heard of Greg Giraldo, first of all, educate yourselves because he, he really is, for me, he's up there with, you know, the George Carlins, Richard Pryor's, you know, Joan Rivers of the world. He, he was, he should have been one of the most widely recognized and admired comics out there. Absolutely. That's why everyone needs to buy the book. They do. So he can get his the credit he deserves. Yeah, absolutely. But tell me uh, what some of the, without you know, giving sure. too well, much there, away. There, there, there are some that stick out. One was um, his kind of fiery side. Right. And by all accounts, he was very gentle and soft-spoken. But if you crossed him, you know, his tough guy side would come out. And that included a, a fight he got in as a Harvard Law student. Oh, okay. Uh, it reminded me a little bit of Goodwill Hunting for some reason. Right, yeah. When like some, some townies kind of, but I mean flipped because it's like he was the smart kid who's at Harvard but also had the mentality of a, a brawler at right, times. Right, okay. And so, uh, so... So he likes them apples mashed. He does like yeah. some apples mashed. And, he, and yeah. he, he, uh, he got in a fight with some dudes who were, who were townies. Yeah. And uh, it didn't end particularly well for him. He didn't but, fuck him up, no. Well, he ended up in the hospital. Okay. But he had some really funny lines about being resuscitated and what year it was. Oh, shit. He was like knocked unconscious then, was he? And like, Yeah. I think he had a concussion. Like he wasn't uh, comatose or anything like okay, that. Okay, yeah, he, yeah. He was knocked out and it was a cold uh, Boston night. And that was funny be because by most accounts, he was gentle. Yeah. You know, like he, he didn't, he was not some imposing 
you know, he, he didn't have the build of Patrice O'Neill. But he was, I mean, he was, he was from, um, from New York, Queens, wasn't he? Yeah. yeah, from Queens. And he was, he's, even though he went to, everyone knows that he, oh, this guy, wasn't he really bright because he went to Harvard and blah. Yeah. But didn't he in get, Regis High School, get some kind of scholarship to get into those places? Because he was in, exceptionally bright. He did for high school. Yeah. Um, I don't know for Columbia. He might have got some, but I, I believe he had to pay at least something. Sure. But he he kind of he was like a he he worked himself out of a, quite a working class background. Right, right. Like he, he didn't come from affluence, but he did have, by all accounts, like a really stable, dual parent, loving household. Really? Like, yeah. See, that's crazy. Which is counter to what you think for a for a, a brilliant comedian. Yeah, but- we do not we differ in that respect. Why did he? Why did you ever get to the crux of? And I'm sorry, you know, I know you got the story of the. Um, I oh, want no, to hear a bit right. more about the. But they they, they got to buy it to hear to hear others. They got to buy it to hear the story. There you go. But what what it's it's very surprising to me. What do you having now spent so much time documenting and looking over the course of his life from from childhood all the way up to the moment of his passing? Why was he fucked up? Did he just have a chemical imbalance in his brain? Was it just he had depression and he it was something he couldn't stave off? That would be my I guess, educated guess. Yeah. I don't know if he was ever diagnosed with depression, but the experts we interviewed said that he had a lot of the, the warning signs. Yeah, the, the markings, the, the trappings. Markings, the trappings. Our, yeah. And another thing that was illuminating is he turned to alcohol and drugs because he was depressed. It wasn't like he he had a great show, was on a you know just mental high, had a few too many drinks, and then felt bad and was hungover, and then he didn't want he wanted the hangover to go away, and then he overdrank. It was no, it was it was the other way. So, something in his mind was you know not as it should be. Also, that cycle can become incredibly, of course, addictive, but also, like you say, it becomes habitual that you just go, "This is what I do." I've done that for for two decades at least. Just tiring, really tiring. Yeah. I know. I mean, I, I'm not equating my my life to his in, in many aspects, but I lived in LA for a long time, and I, I I don't dislike it. I know it's cool to like hate on it. Yeah. But when I left, it was kind of outside of the the you know hyper competitive comedy scene. It was like weight was off my shoulders. Now it's good and bad because those people, some of them are doing really great TV work and and are you know achieve their dreams these are the west coast comics right yeah but and, and i went to the bay area for a little while and then um orange county but to kind of be out of that was uh was, i think it was very good for my mental health yeah see it's interesting because i'm moving to la help help me with my mental health to get out of new york <laughs> to get out of new york and also in london just i realized so much of what i've been experiencing was because of you know a lack of a healthy attitude towards myself mm-hmm. obviously deep self-loathing which i you know, i'm sure i've got tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of therapy work to do over the course of the next decade to get over that but that's okay i'm, I'm at least on the path towards doing that right but also um new york seems to be such a an incredible i had an incredibly naive view of what new york and the comics there were like prior to moving there you know i thought this comedy center was like the home of utmost positivity it all help you out when you when you got to everyone's so nice everyone's so into it and then as soon as they feel a little threatened or intimidated or as soon as someone you know tries to fuck you and you don't you turn them down or as soon as someone you know whatever there's there's a number of different things that can happen but all of a sudden they come out of the woodwork they ah oh, fuck you leech with your right. cut off sleeves you know and i felt like really it's a place where you really get beaten down for any weakness mm-hmm. whatsoever whereas with comics like him and comics like Brody, and I would like to, I'm not in any way, shape or form um, placing myself in the same uh, creative brilliance as them. Yeah, I got a long way to go before I hit that place. But certainly in terms of the attitude and the sensitivity, I think that we all shared. I think sensitivity, I, I knew Brody decently well. Uh, and he, that was how I would describe him. Uh, he was very sensitive and very sweet to people. Uh, even people who didn't necessarily advance his career and from my uh, my interviews and our interviews that Wayne did uh, I think Geraldo shared that too he, he was he was very willing to help people yeah and I think that's a theme of the book including um a Jesse who was a his feature actor and then writing partner uh, Jesse Joyce he would Greg would go out of his way after the roast to say Jesse wrote that joke really and, and in a way he had undercut himself 
you know, it, it, this. Now he wanted to pay respect he, to the guy's work, and, and and to a guy who wasn't helping. I mean, he was helping. He was very much helping him, but not someone who would necessarily advance his career. And then the the producers would ed- obviously edit that bit out, and not put that, not <laughs> put that mention in. Well, it was usually after the fact. Sure. So okay, it got yeah. out. It, it would be at the um, like rap parties. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I see. Okay, okay. He wouldn't like on stage in front of oh, no, know, no. Shaq and <laughs> yeah, yeah. David Hasselhoff just be like, nice that was yeah, actually- you fucking bitch. Oh, by the way, Jesse wrote that, so <laughs> yeah, don't get yeah. angry at me. <laughs> he didn't do that. No, no. And he also became so defined by the roast. I mean, that seems to be outside of, uh, you know, maybe, a, you know, people in their, in their 30s and up who may have watched Tough Crowds mm-hmm. or, you know, it, he was very synonymous with the roast and being... The roast comic. Yeah. He was, yeah, he was the roast comic. He was, he was the, which ironically now Jeff Ross is Roastmaster General, mm-hmm. um, and Anthony Jeselnik is trying to be a, a great Gerardo, I think, in a lot of ways. But this man, it came so easy to him, um, which is almost sounds like it was at odds with his real personality. Yeah, I mean, what are some of your favorite Gerardo roasts? What what sticks out? Every you? single fucking one he did, man. Here's the deal: like his jokes were always so witty, quick, and acerbic. But they were delivered in such a way that you were like, I can't even be angry at this guy because he's just fucking, he clearly hates himself more than the shitty things he's saying about <laughs> me. Does that make sense? Yeah. It was never like, fuck you, Matt. You know, you fucking scum. It, it wasn't vindictive. It was more like, Ugh, I'm a piece of shit, but you know that because you also fucking did this back when, you know what I mean? It would be yeah. like that kind of thing. Um, and that made him very um, disarming, even when he was being mean. Was there anything about him that was a surprise and a shock yeah. to learn about? Well, one, he uh, was a great guitar player. So that, okay. that was interesting. But what was really shocking, uh, Jeff, is he suffered from what therapists call the imposter syndrome. And it's a disorder or condition where you never think you're good enough. Yeah. Like your goals are always... I don't know what uh, that... I, no, yeah. no idea what that's like. But <laughs> it, 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 it's, it's quite debilitating because then you achieve something. It's almost like a perfectionist, but a perfectionist has this feeling like I'm wonderful or my work is fantastic and that's I have a high standard. Uh, those who suffer from the imposter syndrome feel I'm a fraud and if I did something that appears good, it's because I faked a bunch of people. And when you saw his body of work and you saw... I mean, just objectively, like, how do you get three holding deals a year if you're not talented, if you don't have something like that people are, if if people are willing to pay you six figures to have the option of making a show with you, you're probably doing something right. Yeah. And to not recognize that was a huge surprise to me. Yeah. It's not to me. I think just because I was obviously joking when I said I don't know what that's like this it, the, 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 the more I learn about I'm, I'm a bit scared actually because I know when I'm going to read this it's going to make me really upset in certain places uh-huh. without even having you know like gone through and seen what are the different chapters about I know there's going to be parts that I desperately relate to like imposter syndrome mm-hmm. depression abusive you know hurting yourself because you don't think you're worth anything to anyone um, and that scares me a little bit because uh, it's 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 a very sometimes seeing people around you. I, I see, look, it's like Artie Lang. Artie Lang really terrifies me because I think the man is brilliant and incredibly I, talented. <laughs> Whenever I watch Crash, and I feel that like <sighs> the guy's just fucking. He's brilliant, and everything he touches, he's re- like brilliant. Whether it's just being you know bullshit and fucking gregarious on a podcast you know we've done podcasts together on compound media a lot and always just so fucking funny just just in just saying shit but then also like you say in the acting roles he's done and which are very close to home or something like crashing on hbo but i'm terrified of her of Artie hurting himself Mm -hmm. because anytime i see someone who i identify with i I got in touch wood i just hope to fucking God that, you know, he pulls through what he's going through and we don't have to, you know, sit here in, a, you know, in, in another year's time because yeah. you've written a biography well, he about He already wrote a book, Arty. so yeah, I mean, actually, my, <laughs> it's job security. Yeah, okay. But you know what I'm saying, you know, that would, that would, it would really, really, really be a, a, a crying shame. But then I, I look at someone like 
Geraldo or Brody and feel so identifiably connected to them. It scares me, man. It scares me seeing well, comics well, there, like there's, this. There's more good. There's Not because like, they're so good and I think I'm as good as them. Because I think they're so damaged and I feel as damaged as them. Mm-hmm. And it really scares me because they're all fucking dead. Right. They're all fucking dead. And I'm like, well, how long is it until I have some terrible... <laughs> news that pushes me over the edge and I go well fuck it I'm gonna go and you know go and get a load of pills and a couple of bottles or something and then you know the girl I'm dating comes and knocks on my door and I don't answer and they open my door and I'm laying on the fucking floor you know well hopefully this podcast will come out before that (laughs) (laughs) if they do find me like that I want you to write the biography I I will well one I mean you're talking about it I want you to care enough to write the biography I I will I haven't done enough no one's gonna give a shit about reading that book either that's the point that'll propel you yeah yeah but but, I mean in in, in all seriousness (laughs) what you're saying is the only way for me to really make it in comedy is to just hurry up and die (laughs) and then the 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 minuscule outpouring for like I mean I mean Brody got you'll get a hashtag yeah Brody got a hashtag had a few thousand retweets you know got at least at least a third of the comedy community reached out about I reckon I could get at least one eighth of decent comics, at least seven, at least yeah. tweeting it. Do you know what I mean? I, I do, but you're you're, you're talking, yeah. And, and it's it's easy to focus on the too many that have died prematurely. But you know, nowadays mental health is a t- discussion point. We're in a, a, we are a, in a, a few, different time. A few years ago, it wasn't, and and I'm not saying well, it's all going to be fine, Jeff. In two years, I don't think that, but at least it's out there, and and people know that. It's something that's in your in our heads, but there's hope. Yeah, and it's treatable. It is almost like if you broke your leg, you can't just wish it away. There, yeah. there's steps we've taken, and I, I think it's kind of come out a little bit more. And and I not not just comedians, but the population at large. I, I think it's it's the the stigma is not as severe as it was. You're sure? Yeah, you're right. And also the comics that I mentioned that I always cite as you know me identifying with. To be honest, they 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 all came from. Um, I just missed out on their generation of how of the attitudes towards something like mental health. I'm not scared to talk about it because I know that if I didn't, I'd still be drinking every day and I'd be taking a lot of drugs every day and potentially be dead by now. Right. So I was okay about going, it's all right. Whereas, you know, like my dad can't flip flops back and forth between even acknowledging he has a drink problem or not. Mm-hmm. You know, whereas I can go, nah, nah, it was too much, and uh, I was gonna die. So let me stop that. <laughs> let me talk to some people and open up about it. But it's so frustrating, isn't it? Some of these people. But then like, that's why I say someone mentioned someone like Artie because he's still of that old school generation where ah, you just fucking get on with it. Even if your nose fucking caves right. in, you go ah, yeah, fuck it, suck it up, yeah, suck it up, pussy. Do you know what I mean? And he will say that, and I'm like, you don't need to suck it up. Like it's, it's okay that you're fucked. Yeah. You know, it's um, yeah, it's a, it's an interesting thing. I'm I'm gonna read it with a, I think a very mixed set of feelings. I'm excited sure. and um, full of joy that I'm gonna get to learn infinitely more about this man. I mean, my two favorite autobiographies or biographies of of um, comics. One was an autobiography, uh, Born Standing Up. You know, Steve Martin's uh, great book. Yeah, ama- incredibly amazing. And the other one is um. Uh, what is it? Last final words. Um, the the um, the George Carlin one, which wasn't written by him, mm-hmm. but was written in a, ser- a, a based on a series of recordings that his friends, the the author of the book, they used to talk at length about all of the stories, and they, they were documenting his life through conversation and through sharing stories that were all recorded with a view to writing a, a, an autobiography. Okay. You know, and ha- with his friend as the ghostwriter, I guess, or something like that. And once he passed, he was like, well, I already have this wealth of material. He wanted to write this book. Let me let me write this book. So it still very much was written in his own words. Uh-huh. How much of that are you, were you able to put into this as well? Because there are, I'm, I'm assuming, once you trawl through the, the numerous hundreds of hours of live performance, you know, uh, conversations, appearances on TV shows, and of, and I know he was prior to the podcast era, really. Right. But there would be documented. I mean, he was on Opie Anthony and I mean Howard Stern. There, there's lots of radio. Yeah. Archives of him. How uh, much of his own words features in the book? Uh, gosh, good, good. Probably fifteen percent. Okay, that's good. Um, and, and if it's not his words, it's people's recounting of his words. Yeah. Uh, for instance, I loved his jokes so much that I found myself almost going the reverse, like. 
after I learned all this information, I think what what joke fits in with this or, or I should say like I, I wanted to figure out based on the jokes, I would yeah. ask questions that would that would be a little bit telling of his mindset at the time. Yeah. And so we have jokes about uh, marriage. We we have we have jokes about him. We had divorced. two failed marriages, right? Yeah, yeah. His first one, he was like twenty three, and it lasted less than a year. It was with his essentially high school girlfriend, and they dated in college and throughout law school yeah. when he went to law school. And and that was sad because when she met him, he was the studious attorney in training, and and she was a dental student. Yeah, and so it was like the. And perfect- then she broke him and turned him into a fucking comic. <laughs> I kind of think it was the other way. Like uh, we weren't able to interview her. She didn't, she very much distanced herself from him, but it's, I think it was, she had why why that was. I have, I can talk off the record. Okay. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. That I I will, but I'm not. So when when we're not recording, she wasn't comfortable living, reliving that part of her life maybe or. Yeah. And he wasn't always the best husband. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And I think part of that was he was finding out what he wanted to do career-wise and she was probably like i have my career you're a lawyer we'll settle down and have 2.5 kids you know yeah and, make and live, some good live money and live in a, yeah. yeah and you want to give this up to tell dick jokes and yeah. sell chicken wings but like what what dick jokes they were i know so in, in that sense I, I get her point of view but yeah what what dick jokes they were exactly i always admired that i always admired that he could go from seamlessly from and that's something that i'd try and put into my own sets go seamlessly from talking with great intelligence and eloquence about political climate or you know social climate and then go into a bit about you know puerto rican day parade and girls yeah. with three thongs <laughs> knotted up hanging out the back of their arsehole on the back of a kawasaki motorcycle like that that was i was like yes yeah this is this is what the every man he, he was he was the every man the incredibly bright Every man, yeah. you know, you take take grand ideologies, grand ideas, grand, you know, uh, either political or social ideologies, but then reduce them down to simple banter that you might have in a in a local dive bar with your buddy. I, I, it was like everyone was in on it, and I, I think that's something I, I miss today in, in comedy, where you you could have differing viewpoints in the same audience. Yeah, and it wasn't like you're right, you're wrong, you're this or that and he could tell jokes that would make people question their own beliefs but they'd still laugh and yeah. it wasn't so much like this you know university course it was yeah, just like yeah, yeah. it's fun but i think it's also cool when something can be fun and it kind of tweaks your mind a bit yeah but if what, you walk what, away what, from what, this you're not beat up by it you're like you don't think like me therefore you're an awful person or you're this or that it's like i would have loved to have seen how he would have performed during this time yeah, how do you think it would have changed if at all? Like- I think, I think, I mean, I, I can only relate it very um, subjectively to what I'm looking at. I used to be incredibly left-wing and be very vehemently against the overt cons- conservative attitude. Right. But, and I think Trump's a cunt, but I also don't think that everyone who voted for him is a cunt. Right. And... And performing in Vegas has has amended how I tell those stories because Vegas is a very red state. Uh, you see, you know, people from great. different viewpoints, yeah. and also you got all the you got every every fuck nut from Middle America who thinks that gambling their child's college fund away is the idea of a perfect cultural holiday. So they're not really. <laughs> let's be honest; they're not going to be the the brightest people in the world. All of them no, in the no, audience, no. but but they're people who want to laugh and want to be taken away from their problems and and have a little escapism that we can afford them as comedians. So I still tell the same jokes that some of them are a little bit politically shitting on what their ideologies and their political outlook might be. But I make it about there's fucking lunatics on both sides. Mm -hmm. There's crazy people everywhere. Let's laugh at some of the crazy and come together, you know. And I think he would have done that, I hope. I think that's where he would have gone. And I think comedy's gotten so siloed. Yeah. It's like, you know, it's so categorized and subcategorized. It's kind of cool to have performers that that can do the opposite did you come across um stonewalls obviously it sounds like his first wife wasn't really interested in in contributing anything or or talking much about their relationship were there were there any other parts to the story you would have loved to have gotten or be able to explore more but you couldn't just because people went sorry mate 
this is not something I want to get into. Yeah, I mean, some of it was just a matter of not being able to access the people. Um, because of fame's sake or... Maybe, or I think more often, Jeff, it was just their schedules. Yeah. You know, especially like a lot of the comedy seller guys. Like, we, like uh, I think it was Keith Robinson. For some reason, I was really excited to talk to him. And then... I mean, he had a stroke, through. to yeah. be fair. It to, was before... The, I mean, yeah, to, the, <laughs> to be fair to Keith, mate, you did hit him up when he was in hospital. And I mean, I feel like that was a little bit... And you were like, listen, I need you to exclusively write down some notes with your left hand. He was like, motherfucker, I can't move my exactly. left hand. And you're like, well, that's selfish, Keith. But still, this is for Geraldo. It's and for Geraldo. You can try, a bucks off of it, So come on, stop being so... <laughs> no, I, this was before he'd had, so he'd had his health issues. That was one... Uh, and... and some of his high school buddies, there was one in particular, and I'm not going to say his name because he's not a celebrity. Steve. Uh, Steve was cool. Steve <laughs> was super cool. Steve. Steve was all right. This other guy, but you heard from others, and it kind of reminded me of being in high school again. It's like, oh, well, they were super cool, and then they lost touch, and then maybe rubbed him the wrong way at one, one instance sure. 20 years later, and then he died. And, and it, it kind of makes these arguments that are kind of petty seem, and I'm talking about my own life, you know, like you people I might have an argument with years ago, but I, I just, I would have liked to know a little bit more. Matt about, holds a grudge. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, 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 I hope not to, yeah. you know, but, yeah. but you asked me what I'd like to learn more about him. Yeah. Probably. Or just pass the story school. that you wish you could have fleshed out even more. So, some of his uh, high school days, cause he, he was at such a smart school, uh, Regis. And also, I mean, this was 30, 40 years ago or whatever you know a lot of, it, was, it was just hard to track these people down but i really wanted to know like what 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 type of student was he like in in high school and i, and I got some um and we also got to talk to his girlfriend but it would have been cool did you get any teachers from that period or or you know there were school friends that you yeah we, we there was a um, yeah several school friends including his uh i don't know if it's his first girlfriend but one of his definitely one of his yeah formative yeah and uh she contributed some pictures okay um, nice Dick pics, no, dick pics. <laughs> that's not a really, no, prom pictures. Okay. They're quite classy, but yeah. I, uh, so, but that would have been fun to learn more about. Yeah. And also, uh, it's quite a formative uh, time for someone, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And no one in college, I shouldn't say no one. Very few people said he wanted to perform. However, his high school girlfriend told me that they would go to comedy shows together. Really? So like it, it kind of shows like... The seeds were already yeah, there. Yeah. What, what you project to your bros is going to be different than what you tell your lady. Yeah. And so uh, I guess a piece of advice, if, if you're doing a biography about a man, uh, interview his girlfriend. Holy He's fucking straight, shit, yeah. mate. I did a documentary called um, Confessions of a Sex Addict where I tried to... Nice. Wow. Yeah. I mean, it was it was trying. It could have been a better documentary. It was it was good, but it could have been even better. But it was about the process of trying to work out whether I was a sex addict because I'd had such a horrendously hoary promiscuous oh, you part. Yourself. Oh, yeah. Okay. So it was an immersive documentary. But in that, I went through and we tried to hit up. There was a list of about six hundred, five hundred at that point, I think, women, and we were trying to find track down so many of them. And like the first girl that I ever slept with, just didn't want to be. And we, we really went hard to track sure. it down. We found her parents' old address and we reached out to them. We had to write a letter and then they responded to an email and then blah, blah, blah. And they reached out to their daughter. And I can't even find her like online on social media. I really want to know where she's at, what's going on in her life. I don't know her story. And it really breaks my heart because I feel like I was shit, but she was also shit. And I uh -huh. want to know how our shittiness... She'd already fucked a couple of older guys in their 20s. And I was like 16 and she was older than me, maybe 17. And it was the first time I had sex. And, it, you know, it was two minutes of embarrassment sure. where, you know, and um, we never slept together again. We weren't even together. It was really weird. And, but I wanted to know, like, anyway, when you're trying to flesh out your, your past like that, especially those formative years, it can be really trying because people go, that's not part of my... They don't want to re reminisce. No, Even I, by association, they don't want to reminisce. It, it's in the past, and sometimes it's best. Yeah. And and now, I mean, I discovered that people will share what they want, and sometimes they'll overshare. They'll be selective. They'll as well. be selective, but that's why it's important to have multiple sources and corroborate, and 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 not don't rely too much on one person yeah. because then it'll be so heavily skewed. Y your story might be really off. I'm sure there were plenty of people as well because this is, uh, you know, a nature of our industry 
because you're a public figure now, people will come up to you and go, hey man, can I get a photo? Blah, 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 blah. And you might just have a really shitty day or something and go, be like, I'm so sorry, man. I'm just like, not right now. Like, you know, especially if you're going through shit yeah. over the course of your adult life, which he clearly did. And, um, but then someone can come up to you the very next day and be like, hey, and they'll go, oh, this guy's a great guy. He's so friendly. Blah, blah, blah. Right, someone right. else be like, nah, he's a fucking asshole. I saw him 28 hours ago and he told me to fuck off. Yeah. Yeah. Did you have, did you have to moderate some stories then and go, oh, well, I'm going to mark that down to, this was a period where he was going through something and the story that was being shared by that colleague or employer or ex or whatever, it doesn't really apply because I don't think it matches the bigger picture of who this person is. Yeah. There, I mean, there are, because they were small, I can't remember all of them, but there, there are some where, you know, if, if he's this way nine times out of 10, we'll focus on that. Yeah. This, you know, we've all had a bad day. We've all, like, I mean, one thing, it's, it's pretty innocuous, but we, we talk about some of his bad sets. Like when he, he's, he's probably, if not the most consistent comic ever, one of them. Really? Uh, but even the best have some bad sets. And we talk about what was going on personally that might have contributed to that. One, one was uh, after a Letterman appearance that d- didn't go as well as he would have hoped. And that was kind of interesting because... I'm sure in those audiences, there was a few people who've never heard of him before. And right now, if you asked him, Jeff, they'd be like, uh, great drama. He was, he was okay. Or, or he kind of sucked. And it's like, what? Yeah, you just yeah, saw yeah, one no, of, yeah. or, or you saw heard two bad jokes or something yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah. Yeah. Don't, don't base it off of that, but it's going to happen. Was there, was anyone, did anyone really dislike him? Did anyone have like, and, and, and are cited in the book? Was anyone? Because I know it's a book of celebration of the man's there life. There are and- some people, and I, who, who just said I don't want to be interviewed, or some I kind of read between the lines. What about that- O'Leary? Did he ever talk about him? Did he? Get- he did, and it was. I, I thought Leary was pretty cool because he was interviewed uh, or give it up for Greg Giraldo, which was a piece or it was a show that Comedy Central did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. About six months after Giraldo passed, and Leary had very little to gain from it. And he said, I looked like a douchebag. Is this from the, the recorded interview or is this you yeah. having a conversation with him for the book? Well, that was a recorded interview. I've How, seen the recorded interview where did, he says, I was being a douchebag and he fucking called me on it and went so hard on me and I was out of my depth. Like he says that, you know, Greg prepared for everything he went into. So yeah. he was there, boom, 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 boom. And everything I said, he just made me look like a, more of an asshole. Exactly. Yeah. But, but to be able to say that is kind of, you know, humbling and, and ballsy on, on Leary's part. Yeah. Or yeah. you just don't want to look like more of a dickhead by right. going, yeah, fuck that guy, man. He didn't really, uh. That's true. And that, that whole incident was, was funny because we had several accounts of people, uh, who talked to him afterwards. And I don't think Geraldo thought it was going to be this huge television event that it became. It was sure. just, they had arguments every day, Jeff on tough crowd. And this, yeah. this was a little more pointed, Yeah, but whatever. And, some told me that Greg never really patched it up with Larry and others said he had no beef and it was fine. Yeah. So that was an instance the where jury's still out. because I didn't know definitively, I, we, Wayne and I made a point to, to tell that their, you know, sources vary on whether on they what really happened. Back to, yeah. 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 And that's kind of part of the fun too, is like not everything's answered. And I think it would be kind of boring if everything was because I like reading something and then makes me wondering a little bit more. I mean, a lot of questions are answered, but then there's there's some that, that will never be answered. Did he ever do anything with that passion for playing music as well? Because I, I didn't even know that. I, the other day, I just discovered Mark Marin plays guitar very well. I didn't know that. Yeah. He was on um, Goddamn uh, Comedy Jam, uh, mm. Josh Adam Myers' show uh, here at the uh, Whiskey A Go Go, I think it's called. At the, on Sunset? Yeah. Cool. We went down there and he got up and just fucking rocked out. Too talented, man. Yeah, we pulled a guitar. I was like, but then also Mark Marin, of course he plays guitar. Of course he sits in his garage and interviews Barack Obama. Of right, course yeah. he fucking jams on the weekend. You know what I mean? Like, of course he does. <laughs> But um, but Greg, I, yeah, it's, it was almost like but a yeah, reticent. Um, he, he, he had some like open mic gigs, and actually, he and some of his uh, frat brothers started a band in college, and uh, we documented called that. Cool what? Cool what? They they were prename. Prename. This no, was, they didn't have no a name, name yet. They they had a set list, but they didn't have a name. Okay, all right. 
So there's a little bit of that story in there as yeah, well. Yeah, so I think he, he had the performer's bug. And how do you think people... So if people have never heard of Greg, if they've never experienced any of his comedy, obviously go out. Just just fucking get online. Yeah, go on Google, YouTube or Google. Yeah, And watch and you'll, get, you'll go down a rabbit hole on YouTube and you'll end up, you know, 20 videos in going, I fucking love this guy. Um, and listen to Midlife Vices as well, guys. I, honestly, I can't... It's one of my favorite albums of all time. Um, what do you think the takeaway would be for people... Uh, once they read this book, you know what, what's the picture that is painted of him across the that? Aside from comedy, he was a very willing men- mentor and a helpful person, and he had his demons and was very upfront about them. And I think he pursued something that the odds were against him, and he succeeded. But in his mind, did he ever really succeed? Yeah. God, it's so sad, isn't it? Well, I'm glad he's got a big beaming smile on the cover. Um, I honestly, <laughs> man, I could talk about him for another two hours, but I, I, I feel like we've got a good basis of what the book is. We've done well, our hour. We can do another one after you read it. If you I'd want. fucking love that, man. And I'd like to, I mean, I'm also actually, sorry, before we wrap it, I would like to ask, um, just this is more just for the, for the viewers who, who are going to go out and purchase this. And first of all, where can I get it? Uh, the easiest way is Amazon. Okay. Or you can go to gregdraldobook.com. Okay. Or Twitter, Facebook, uh, Instagram. It's at gregdraldobook. Okay. Um, and it's called Greg Geraldo, A Comedian Story. Um, and also, just again, for the for the people who are going, oh, well, maybe I'll buy it. Let's also add a, a little bit of zhuzh to it, a bit bougie. What what kind of names can we can we expect to see stories from in here? What are the people from the comedy world that sure. they would know if they don't already know M- Greg's work? M- Mark Maron. Okay, you, there you we, go. We talked about him. Uh, Jim Gaffigan. Yeah. He's, he's Never a big heard name. of him, yeah. Colin Quinn. Never heard of the, him. The yeah. legend herself, Judy Gold. There you go. Uh, but also Greg's wife, Marianne. Yeah. Uh, some other, some of his... Uh, so this was his second wife that he had the... They were married 10 years. Okay. In fact, they were married when he passed, separated, but still, like, they hadn't completed the divorce. When he passed away. When he passed away. Uh, and, gosh, a lot of... Uh, so uh, Jessica Curson, uh, Noam Dorman, for for those who Jessica know Jessica Curson is one of my favorite people in the fucking world. By the way, she's she's a comic that I think is gonna leave that kind of a legacy too. And, and her, not of, for anytime soon. I hope she doesn't no, die no, no. for another fifty years or sixty years. But well, she was the interview that might have surprised me the most because I didn't know that much about her beyond her stand up. Right. And I had no idea she and Greg were that close, but they both shared like addiction troubles. Yeah. And what she said was so illuminating. Yeah. So that that's. Uh, yeah, well, her, her interview alone, alone is, uh, is is worth the, the purchase. Yeah, yeah. Jessica Curson, I think, is going to be one of the greatest talents uh, comedy scene for a long while. She's starting to get the recognition she deserves now as well. And then Jeff will be right there behind her. There you go. Yeah, exactly. I hope so. That'd be nice. Oh, Jeff Ross. No. <laughs> um, okay. I, I Actually, you know what, man? I'm sorry to keep eking it on a little bit, but I, there's one other thing I do want to ask, just because you brought it up in that bit. They, there is quite a bit of, um, you know, sharing from his second divorce or they were going through the process of divorce his second wife that's hard talking to someone who i'm assuming um had a relationship with him that was both probably full of lots of love and admiration and some great stories but also marred by a lot of misery and and disconnect otherwise they wouldn't have been going through a divorce i'm sure how do you talk to someone who is that personally involved in the man's life clearly will have a wealth a dearth of knowledge to give to you or not dearth of knowledge a wealth of knowledge but then maybe also has a uh, a dearth of pleasantries in in lots of ways because she as much as she would still have had love in her heart for him she'd probably have a lot of anger and hurt and upset absolutely i think the, the best way to talk was to listen i mean that sounds trite but I was nervous about talking with her. Yeah, fuck yeah. Because if you fuck that up or say the wrong thing, she might just go, you know what? I can't do this. This is too... Exactly. Too and, and she fresh and personal. Very, very little to gain. Yeah. She, yeah. She's, she's not in the industry. She's, she's not She's lived to... her life. She's a great mom. She's moved on. Not And as you said, she had a lot of pain and a lot of great memories. And, and that's always going to be the case. But I think... Let's... Like truly listening to her answers and then asking questions based off of what she said. Yeah. Because I had a list going in of, of what I wanted to ask 
And fortunately, we did hit many of them. Sure. But but you kind of pushed that to the side and just let her dictate where it flowed. And it ended up flowing. Like, I thought she would be very protective of him. Yeah, yeah. B- because he's passed. You know, it's... However, she was very forthright. And I think that was important because I came in and I still am a huge fan, but it wasn't to canonize him. Yeah. And I probably went in a little too naively. And to hear her talk about she loved him, but she was incredibly frustrated because he'd sometimes miss appointments or, you know, she'd have a drink and, and he'd always want to have another one. It... It changed my way of thinking because I viewed him so much as this amazing performer. And I held, hero, I held him on a pedestal, hero, but right? I was like, you know what? She had to deal with a whole different side. Yeah. And it made me think of people like loved ones who have to deal with addiction. Yeah. And and she has she loved him. Well, addiction doesn't just affect the person. No, oh, not at all. It affects and, and, everyone around and, and, and she had to take care of kids too. Yeah. So it's like you can only worry so much about your adult husband when you've got three kids to take care of too. Yeah. And, and he was a good father, but you can be a good father or a good person and have these struggles. But when you're talking to someone who's being that open, I think it's important to let them know if they're uncomfortable talking about something to not push it. Cause I, I had your fear. I had that fear. You said, Jeff is like, it could be five minutes in and she's you say like, the wrong thing, you push the, the wrong, wrong button, or, and she or, just or shuts down. I'll say some stupid joke that I think would be like ingratiating, or you know, luckily I didn't do that, but you know, like just do something, some silly yeah, tick, yeah, yeah. and all of a sudden the whole interview is ruined. Yeah, and uh, I, th- I think just to the best you can, make them feel comfortable, and 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 no one to back off. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm excited to read her accounts in here. I feel like you probably got some great stuff out of her, man. Um, thank you so much. Thank you, Jeff. Come and chat to me. I'm glad we did it. I'm glad we got a proper hour to really yeah, get yeah, into it. Yeah, yeah, and I feel like uh, this is therapeutic in a way, too. Oh, uh, yeah? yeah? Nice. Thank well, you. I hope I don't die anytime soon, so you don't have to write book for good about <laughs> me. But I am 100% going to be reading this uh, immensely quickly, and uh, I'm going to power through it over the next week or so. Ladies and gentlemen, check it out, please. Uh, it's called Greg Giraudo, A Comedian Story by Matt Balaka and Wayne Jones. Uh, the forward is by Colin Quinn. You've obviously got amazing comedians in there who are superstars and you know maybe lesser known names who are who are very, very dear friends of him plus all of those those other relationships like ex-wives and managers and, and, and girlfriends and high school buddies in there so i think it's going to paint a really beautiful picture of of what the man's life was um and if you haven't also listened to him please just go and download an album this is what i would do this is the way i'd approach it okay. i'd go on amazon right now and i'd download midlife vices and I download this book. Perfect. I'd order the book. And I would listen to the album, which you can do over, you know, an hour somewhere. Just stick it on when you're when you're commuting to work or something and laugh your fucking tits off. And then read the book and find out more about what was behind that brilliant comedy. Um but first of all, Matt, thank you very much for writing it, man. Oh, thank you. I'm glad someone Thanks told his story. It. Yeah, dude. It was it made me very proud to do that. And um I'm very excited to read it. So thank you very much, man. Thank you. Thanks for joining me. And I uh, I hope we get to um, hang out again. Please. Take care, guys. I'll see you next time.